This is the 12 Songs of Christmas. My name is Alex Rawls, and today I'm talking to musician Carlo Fadige, who is one of the men behind the 2014 album Molto Groovy Christmas. The album remakes Christmas classics in the mode of Italian movie soundtracks from the 1960s, where sonic textures from pop and rock interacted with strings and horns to create music that located the films in the time in which they were made. The best-known example in the U.S. is the soundtrack to The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly by Ennio Morricone, who is also the best-known Italian soundtrack composer from that time. The results now have a charmingly dated, psychedelic quality, particularly in the use of guitar distortion and wah-wah and fuzz-tone pedals and the way they're juxtaposed with acoustic instruments and conventional movie themes. Here's a quick moment of Ennio Morricone, just to give you an idea of what we're talking about. That sound enjoyed a brief renaissance in the mid-90s, and particularly 1995, when the soundtrack to Jess Franco's movie Vampiros Lesbos was released and got a lot of attention. At a time when CDs made reissuing material relatively easy, a lot of 60s European soundtrack music found its way into the marketplace as well. Here's a moment to help you hear what made Vampiros Lesbos so mind-blowing at the time. That period was when I stocked up on spaghetti western soundtracks, music by Morricone, and some European and Bollywood soundtracks. Perhaps at 20 or so years, between that flurry of activity and the release of Molto Groovy Christmas accounts for how the album largely evaded notice when it was first released. And it didn't help that it was released as Roman Coppola and Alessandro Casella Presents, with no mention of the actual musician or musicians who made the music on the cover. Filmmaker Roman Coppola, son of Francis Ford Coppola, had the idea for the project, and he took it to Italian musician and studio owner Carlo Padigay, who is credited for playing everything on the inside cover. I interviewed Padigay. I interviewed Padigay from his studio in northern Italy, and he talks about the process of making the album, which also ends up nodding to a few other pop psychedelic influences from yesterday, including Esquivel and Krautrock. The album's pretty awesome, and if you're interested, there are still a few vinyl copies for sale on Bandcamp if you search for Molto Groovy Christmas. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So, this is Carlo Padigue and Molto Groovy Christmas on 12 Songs. So, to start with, Carlo, what's the story behind... A uh, Molto Groovy Christmas. Yeah, Molto Groovy Christmas is, was an idea of um, two friends, Roman Coppola, the, the son of uh, the famous uh, Francis Ford Coppola, and uh, Rom, um, Alessandro Casella, that is a guy from Rome, that is, um, you know, enthusiast of uh, vintage music from the 60s, uh, 
everything vintage all the everything is that's vintage is his thing you know and um they decided to do this thing um about doing music there's, there's kind of christmas christmas music but in a italian uh, 60s style you know something like that you could heard in uh, in, in very old movies like you know dolce vita uh, from the late 50s to until the late 60s that was the 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 age span of the the idea of music and um, they contacted me because i uh, i'm very used to do those kind of 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 of, uh, of work you know uh, usually i play vintage stuff so it was my uh, my cup of tea you know right uh, and so and so I I, I, got, I got on board and and I did the job, you know. <laughs> uh, so, so we'll come back to what the job means. But you were telling me that you, you just said you have you you really like vintage equipment, vintage gear, and you have your own studio. Yeah. And I and you you record an analog, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. It was a it was a tough job because uh, we did a a, a small pre production. In a digital, in digital, just to to hear the idea, the rough idea, and then once uh, we we settled with the ideas, I began to record on tape, and it was a challenge because I had to play all the instruments, and uh, so I don't know if you know the the the, the task of recording stuff uh, on tape is completely different because you can do you can make editing, so you have to play straight right. And you have to have the, the very clear ideas. Uh, you know, you, you you have to know where you are going before you start. So, right. yeah, it's quite a challenge. But uh, but I'm used to do it, to do it because I play a lot of instruments, and also I have the original uh, recording record, musical instrument that made the job. You know, I have a mellotron, I have an Hammond organ, an old Farfisa Farfisa organ, and. And the clavinet, all those kind of uh, strange keyboards from the 60s and 70s. So uh, I was prepared to do this. the appeal of a vintage gear and of classic these classic instruments the appeal yeah uh, i guess that they have their own flavor that is not easy to to obtain with uh, uh, especially the, the kind of instrument like the mellotron that uh, when you play in a, a, a sample on a computer it's completely different the feel that you have when you play it on the real thing. And this thing maybe is transmitted to the music when you listen to the record. That is some kind of unconscious thing that you that you that you feel in when you hear the, the, the recording made with the actually with the real instrument. 
And I guess maybe this make the difference on the, on the final product, I, I guess, I suppose. Sure. Does it affect your imagination? When you sit down to a Mellotron, does that yeah. give you ideas that you wouldn't have if you were thinking about the sampling or if you were trying to find another way to solve it? Um, or, if you, or if you pick up, if you sit down at the clavinet, does that give you ideas that you wouldn't have if you were at a different keyboard? Yeah, absolutely. Because um, even not when you're not recording, uh, you take inspiration from the instrument in, in itself. And when you, it's like when you sit down on, a, on a, an acoustic piano is the, or, or with an acoustic guitar, you can feel the instrument that, that's living under your fingers, you know, and gives you, and, uh, and gives you inspiration. Uh, and even when you are only uh, planning to, to, to play or only when you're playing just for the sake of playing, not, uh, not, not, not only when you're overdubbing or you're recording an instrument in the, in the, during the, the recording you know, task. Uh, and maybe that's what I, what I was thinking about, the inspiration that you're getting from the instrument. Yeah. That's what I was talking about. Sure. Yeah, I understand that. I, I think... I think that's really interesting. The idea because the idea that the instrument has suggests what to do with it. Because if you think about a guitar and with an yeah. electric guitar, there have been enough uh, foot pedals and there's enough gear made that you could take a guitar off the rack today and you could make it sound like it like people made it sound in 1962 if you wanted to yeah but having that 1962 guitar i would assume gives you ideas or just touching it and just the nature of the instrument makes you think of things that you wouldn't think of if you were taking basically a brand new guitar and channeling it through things am i right yeah, absolutely, and that was I was thinking about that you, it's like being uh, transported in the in the in the time where the instrument were were made, and and so it's much easier to to do something uh, in this kind of music. You know, if if you have to play something for the sixties, you have to play. If you play it with a sixties instrument, you are transported in in this in this era. You know. Sure. Uh, it's much easier than use a computer, pushing a button and do and do the same the same task electronically. is a completely different approach. Right. Uh, sometimes it's easier. It's easier. It's not easy to to obtain to use the, the you know make make work the, the 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 keyboard because it's very complicated. It's very tricky inside. So, uh, but once you 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 did all the technical stuff before, then it's much, it's much more easier to play, to, to do music, you know. Is, is that part of the fun? I would imagine with the Mellotron that, I, I've heard Mellotrons are very hard to keep in tune. Um, yeah. Is, is the actual sort of getting in there and grinding around and doing things that musicians had to do with this instrument 30 and 40 years ago, is that part of the appeal of using it or part of the fun yeah, as a musician? Uh, sure. Yeah, it's a part of the fun and it's a kind of, you know, a dogma. 
Uh, you have to to play with few, few, few notes because you can't play many notes because for the of the limits of the instrument in itself, and you have to play with all you all that you have there. You you can't mess with the, the melodrum because uh, it's it's not easy. It's not an easy keyboard to play. Uh-huh. It's uh, just an example. It's like playing the drums. You know, you you can uh, pick up a, a a drum loop, and it uh, maybe it'll do the job. For 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 a, a demo, but if you have to play the, the real drum, you have to uh, keep uh, keep things uh, very tight, and you have to you have the limits of an instrument under your you know under your hands, so you have to to play with it. When uh, when they came to you and asked you to do this project, did they did they give you a song list or what was the instruct what were the inst- what did they yeah. bring to you as instructions? Yeah, because um, uh, we can tell that the the project was a puppy of Alessandro and Roman. Uh, it was their idea, and I was the executor. Then, um, meanwhile, I. I I made all the arrangements, but under the, you know, the, the hands, because they, they told me, they, they gave me some example of, of, of kind of, you know, I, I would like to have this song uh, uh, with this, uh, with this, uh, you know, t- template in mind. And they gave me uh, the songs, the template, you know, the, 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 I, I just, um, if I can recall correctly, just an example. Uh, the um, the first song that we 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 used to 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 record was uh, uh, now I guys it's, it's ten years from uh, now, uh, so sure. it's, it's it's been a lo- it's been a long time. But it was uh, uh, "Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas," maybe, it, uh, um, and they gave me something. You know, you know Alberto Sordi. Uh, they, 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 they um, was uh, an actor of the 60s, this okay, yes. year in, uh, in, uh, and um, in, in, uh, in those films there was a, a very specific kind of music, and they gave me an example of soundtrack from one of his movies, and um, and this was the first idea. Then we we modified the, 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 the we started from there and, and we, we get somewhere else. But yeah, but they gave me a very specific idea each each song. Okay. And but but then after they gave me idea, I had to process and, and you know and fit the 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 the, 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 the Christmas song with the idea they gave me, and and, and that's where I uh, I did my job. And it was it, it it wasn't that easy because you know some 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 music was very different from one of each other. Uh, and it was uh, maybe at the, the 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 especially when they gave me um, the Jose Feliciano Feliz Navidad, right. uh, yeah. And I I I mixed it with Na 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 Na. It is a uh, song. Yeah. I made this. This was my idea. <laughs> it was oh, that's my great. Idea too. Ha, ha, yeah. Ha. <laughs> or with the funny voices. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it was quite hilarious. Even uh, uh, the, the singing the, the the female vocals, you know, <laughs> I did all the operatic stuff, you know. Uh, so it was very hilarious to do. Do I, am I hearing a, uh, a am I hearing a drum machine on that a rhythm ace maybe? No, did uh, I I did with the with the, the acoustic drum. Oh, okay. And I processed the, yeah, I processed the, the 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 acoustic drum with uh, filters in the studio just to get this um, uh, kind of cheesy sixties uh, drum sound. You know, yeah, okay. very you know like like um, the the. Um, it was the the the, the old uh, rhythm machine. There's yeah. the kind of uh, the the Latin uh, uh, rhythms, no? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was it was it was a lot of fun to do to trying to recreate the the, the the sound. So when you were doing these tracks, I imagine you had to plan them out fairly seriously in advance so that you knew what you were going to do. Since you were doing them all yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's why we did, uh, previously we did uh, those uh, small, those little uh, digital uh, uh, pre-production. It was just to, to plan the work because it was very complicated. In some, in some piece I had to play the strings, I had to play the cello and multi-parts, so I had to plan uh, the... There was a, a couple of... of of pieces that they are very complicated. There's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, complicated stuff to play because uh, the strings and the percussion, the um, uh, the, the mellotron part, the drums, the bass. Uh, it was a it was a tough job. Yeah. Which one what was what were one of what was one of the harder ones to play? Do you remember? Um, I I I I'm, I have to to. To pick up the the the, the track list sure. because it's it's a long time. Uh, okay, maybe it was late right. Yes, late, late right. It was the maybe the 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 trickier one. Okay, because a lot of uh, changes. There's a lot of change of style inside uh, the at, at three two minutes and a half. There's three or four different places that the, in in one place there's the the, the cellos, in another place there the the theremin. Uh, in other place, uh, there uh, the, the electric guitar. So it was very, 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 very hard to to play the, the, the this track. It was you... very, very, very wild. <laughs> When you start, were you starting with drums? Usually, yeah, I started with. And the other 
the other thing that we have to think about is that no click track. Right. I, I did all, yeah, just to keep the feel of a, a very old band with all the time variation. I I had in mind to, to I have to have all the structure in my mind, playing the drums, and with the, the drums, I, I, I made all, you know, those time variation just to have something more more lively more more right. live it's, yeah. it's like they they're playing from a, a real band it was oh. it wasn't that easy to do so, so you intentionally sped up and slowed down you intentionally varied your time yeah wow yeah 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 because it's, it's a big difference from the old um, for the old tracks recorded with the with uh you know the 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 orchestra the conductor that keep the musician in time, but is a very, um, uh, there's a lot of uh, micro variation that sure. between, you know, the verse, between the, 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 uh, the verse and the other parts of the song, you know, and, and that's what made the difference. Maybe I, I guess, I yeah. suppose, I hope. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. And I would imagine that for you playing to your own time, is possible in a way where it might be harder for somebody else to keep to come in and play with you if you if you had these you know variations micro yeah. variations in time. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, or if you play in a live context, or if you play with the musician in the same room in the same time, maybe it's easier to do this because you is a you know a kind of it's like going in the same direction with a group of people, you know. Uh, and so the people naturally, when they are together, they move in the same time, in the same, you know, uh, they keep they keep the beat. But if you're doing in overdrive, you know, in overdub, it's, it's a completely different approach. I, but I'm used to do this. Sure. You, know, you have to, because I, I, I begin to overdub myself when I was a little kid. So, <laughs> so it's a lifetime that I'm doing. And, yeah. I'm, and I'm used to, to my... To my uh, to, to my time changes, you know. Right. You have to be used to yours. I'm used to with myself. <laughs> <laughs> now, once you had four or five instruments on a track, and you had a lot, had the basic track down. Did you decide have a moment where you said, you know, this would sound good if I added a lap steel, or and then put another part on, or this would sound good if I had a French horn and you played a French horn or yep. found an instrument that would simulate it. Um, yeah. Did, did, did you have this sort of, this sort of additional composition and additional layering of instruments once you sort of got the basics down? Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it happened. It happened during the recording process. And sometimes the, um, those kind of ideas come from, the the Roman and Alessandro they were listening my my work, so they have um, they they can hear the music from outside you know they have a different per perspective from myself, because once you you get used to your own music, uh, it's it's not so easy being uh, you know um, subjective, sure. you, no, objective you you tend to be subjective you know, and so. Um, and sometimes they give, but but it, it wasn't bit, it wasn't bad if we changed the, the rhythm in this part, and so it was very helpful to have the 
uh, Alessandro and Roman uh, hearing outside, you sure. know, outside from outside. So, and and it happened. It happened um, often. Like I said before, have you said for uh, Merry Little Christmas? Uh, when I started, the the rhythm was different. It was some kind of uh, march rhythm, and then later. They said, no, I would, we would like to have some more late 60s, uh, early 70s uh, rhythm and like Motown, you know. And so I, I switched the drum. I, I changed the, the, the drum part over dubbing and, and I played a different uh, pattern. So the, the whole song changed completely. And, and that happened after I recorded the drums. Uh, and so... That's maybe what we were talking about. Okay. You know, make big, big, big uh, uh, changes on on something that was just recorded. You sure, know? Yeah, yeah, that's happened often. Yeah. I'll tell you part of what I was thinking about because this blows me away. The idea of imagining so many instruments, especially because in some cases an instrument is playing a very short part, and yeah. I was th- like, I was watching a. Uh, a live performance of this material on uh, on Facebook, yeah. and yeah. and I and I don't remember which song it was now, but you started off playing the melody on a farfisa, and then <laughs> okay, you reached yeah. over the farfisa and you were playing yeah, yeah. it on a, a pedal steel, and then you came yeah. over and played it on the uh, on the um, on the on the Hammond, and then on an additional keyboard, and I was trying yeah. to decide. Did you imagine that in four di- in in that part going through four different instruments, or was there a moment when you were in the process of making it where you realized this would be more interesting if I switched from here to there? Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe it was an unconscious thing, but um, in in those maybe maybe we were referring to White Christmas where I played the uh, you know the lap steel and that I played mm-hmm. the, the melody with a farfisa and then with clavinet. Yes. Yeah, but uh, I did uh, those kind of you know mixed uh, instruments. I did without very spontaneously. Okay. Uh, it wasn't very planned. It was much more planned. Um, and. Uh, and and it was something that I haven't planned a lot. And when I played in live context, I have to you know rethink everything because <laughs> I was for you know I I couldn't uh, call you know ten people play right because you know we were when we did the the streaming the live stream uh, we were under you know the COVID situation so it wasn't easy to have a lot of people in the same room and. And uh, and so I, I, I and and then I play with my brother and another a couple of friends that they were the, that were enthusiastic about it, but you know that there there was no money involved, so they, <laughs> they did <laughs> just for free. And so I and I haven't a lot of people that could play you know this very complicated stuff with very different instrument. And so the the tough job I have to do by myself all those you know the different instruments and because the other guy play only the, the drums, the bass more more easy to to you know to, to do in a live context. Right. Um, but while I was recording sometimes I I played uh, I, I played the whole stuff uh, the whole uh, the whole part with the key the guitar the whole part with the keyboard and then later 
I decided uh, uh, what what to keep with the the console with the mixer sure. while I was mixing down. And sometimes no, I I pre-planned the 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 the, the verse, uh, the first you know the 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 verse with the the organ, the the chorus with the the the, the another instrument. So it was a mixed affair, you know. I'm assuming that the reference point they gave you for Little Drummer Boy was Jimmy Smith. Is that right? There's sort of a funky uh, organ version. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they gave me, yeah, Jimmy Smith, but they wanted something, you know, uh, kind of Motown, but uh, cheesier, you know, because yeah. it, it, <laughs> it, the, it, I had to always play not to from a musician point of view it was it, it hadn't to be too fancy right for for our um, today years you know sure for for what we are used to to listen now it had to to sound a little bit cheesy sometimes yeah and um that even the the, the organ sounds they it, you could find those kind of, of uh, you know setting of the drawbars of the Hammond organ in the 60s uh, when there wasn't not the the gospel music on on the Hammond organ wasn't so in Europe it wasn't not a common thing. Right. They play the the keyboards with a different approach because they they didn't know the the the, the way they you know the black people play in 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 America. It was a different here in Europe it was a completely different approach because the instrument was uh, they they were new to to the years. So they don't they. They played with their own uh, taste, and and so I, I followed those kind of uh, approach with the instrument, not to not to fancy, not to uh, is in this way. Like sixties musician in Europe, sure. And so sometimes it can it can yeah. be strange to hear those those kind of creepy sounds on the organ, something you can find on the on the soundtrack of the sixties and the fifties in the Italian movies on, uh, you know. For people in America who don't necessarily know those soundtracks, they know of them or they know, you know, they know that these soundtracks are important and that they obviously shape a lot of people's imaginations, but they don't know who are the names they should be looking for. Who are the people who made some of the soundtracks that you were thinking of? Yeah, absolutely. Piero Umiliani, Piero Umiliani, and uh, Piero Piccioni. Uh, and uh, Ennio Morricone, absolutely. 
because in the 60s he, he did a lot of groundbreaking experimentation with the soundtracks in Italy and if you think about the spaghetti western they are very they very they were very experimental in the approach because strange sounds strange guitars um, and uh, maybe uh, yeah the they were the reference when I sure. when I did the job. Yeah, okay. Uh, they were the greatest, the greatest uh, soundtrack composer here in Italy. Okay, you were saying that you had to kind of, as a player, make sort of you know sort of simple choices and choose lean towards sort of as you say cheesy ideas. As a as a musician, is it hard to sort of not go you know not make the best choice you'd like to you would most like to make in a moment yeah um in a certain way it's easier because you have you know a box when you have a box where you where you stay you know where to go it's easier but in uh, on the other side you have to uh, you can play maybe with your modern voice you know the, the, the voice from your time and maybe that's what you were talking about but uh, I guess that if you have to, to to do a job with a specific sound sometimes it's easier for me for myself because you have to uh, take inspiration from something that still that just exists and and do something with your voice uh, maybe with your point of view, not your voice, because the voice, maybe you try to emulate some, somebody else. But, um, yeah, it can, it can be tough and at the same time easy, you know. Sure. It's a, it's, a, it's a mixed feeling when you do those kind of jobs. But in, in, on, the other, on the other end, I, I'm quite used to this kind of music. So it wasn't because the, the first... Uh, the first job that I did in a soundtrack uh, with a very uh, with a very specific um, sound, it was in something like 20 years ago, maybe more. That I did a, a, a experimental film here in my in my hometown, uh, a, a low budget movie, but um, they they wanted a, a very 70s uh, Poliziotteschi tram uh, soundtrack, and. And so I had to to study the genre, to study the, the, the those kind of instrumentation, and and so I was used to the approach of studying something and then play it. And it can be rewarding because you know you you learn different uh, language. It's like learn a language, and then you you are, you can you you are able to to do to say something with a different language. Right, but. It's it's always yourself that, that is talking. You know the message is the same. Sure. It changes only the, the 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 language. So it was very interesting for me, to do this kind of job with a different uh, era because sure. you know I was I was used to the seventies stuff, and going to the sixties it was sometimes quite extreme because you have to forget everything uh, that was done in the seventies and the eighties and nineties. That now we are we are very as a player. I'm I'm used to rely on those kind of you know uh, the kind the kind of languages, and it was sometimes it was very very challenge challenging, but I guess that it was it was nice to learn something else you know yeah. it was a uh, very interesting. 
Thanks to Carlo for the time and the talk. As I said, if you want a vinyl copy of Molto Groovy Christmas, hit Bandcamp ASAP since the album's page only lists two copies remaining. You can still find downloads and CDs if you so desire, but it's not on the streaming services. Thanks to AF the Naysayer for the theme music, and thanks to you for listening. If you haven't already done so, subscribe, like, follow 12 songs wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple person, a five-star review helps others find out about what we're doing here, and all that activity helps the algorithms work for us. If you want to see what else I do, check out myspiltmilk.com, my general music website. I put Christmas music stuff there too, but with festival season coming in New Orleans, I'm working on copy to coincide with the busiest time of the year here. My instincts at My Spilt Milk run toward indie music as well, and like on 12 songs, I'm often trying to come to grips with the way marginalized music somehow fits into the bigger picture. We'll finish today with one more from Molto Groovy Christmas. This is a version of Silver Bells that pays tribute to the early days of hi-fis and the artists whose album showed off why you want a stereo. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.